Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Salt to Salt. Always wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And uh, let's start out with just mentioning the passing of Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, which obviously is a very sad time for the Jewish people. Rabbi Sachs was an incredible human being. His towering intellect, his exemplary example, his uh, leadership in so many ways were of such value to all of not only to British Jewry, but to the Jewish people around the world. And obviously with his passing, it's a great loss to all of us. A great light has been, uh, has left this world and uh, we remember his tremendous contribution and his inspiration and his wisdom and his uh, wonderful understanding of life and of the purpose of life and of Judaism of the role of Judaism in the world will be very sadly missed. Um, Rabbi, as we, I'm sure many of our listeners know, Rabbi Sachs passed away this past Shabbos. Um, today is the 20th, which was the 20th of Cheshvan. Today is the 24th of Cheshvan. And today is actually the Yotzat of Baron Edmund the Rothschild. Uh, Baron Rothschild was born in 1845. He died in the year 1934. And he was a member of the Rothschild banking dynasty. Um, and he, in 1882, when there was a wave of vicious pogroms that took place in Eastern Europe, and many Jews um, wanted to leave the suffering, the hardship, the misery that they faced in Eastern Europe, in um, Lithuania, in Poland, in um, white Russia. And uh, Baron Rothschild, he became a leading proponent proponent of the Zionist movement, he bought up land throughout the land of Israel and subsidized settlements of Jews that were moving from Eastern Europe. He financed um, the first new Jewish town, which he called Rishon Letzion, the first of Zion, which today is a thriving center within um, the land of Israel. He also um, sponsored the development of Zichron Yaakov, of Caesarea, and over 30 settlements in the land of Israel in the late 1880s, um, he sponsored and he funded. He also established Israel's wine industry and helped many of the, the Jews that were fleeing Russia um, to plant vineyards in Israel and to set up um, the Israeli wine industry. So um, he's the person who made a great contribution to Israel. Um, in 1954, his remains were reinterred to the land of Israel, and his son, in his memory, paid for the construction of the Knesset building in Yerushalayim. So the Knesset building that we have today that is used for the Knesset was paid for by uh, Baron Edmund Rothschild's son um, in memory of his father. So we remember his passing in the year 1934, and his also um, wonderful contribution to Israel to the Jewish people. I want to share with you some beautiful ideas that relate to, uh, we're now reading Sefer Bereshis, um, and the Parshas in Sefer Bereshis are so rich and are so full 
so many wonderful lessons for life and guidelines that the Torah teaches us, which we would be very wise to listen to and to fulfill in our lives. Um, this week's Pasha, Pasha's Chaya Sarah, deals with the tragic passing of Sarah Imenu. So we are in that mindset of the passing of great people, of Rabbi Sachs. Um, and so uh, it's with that in mind that we read Chaya Sarah, this Shabbos Kodesh. And at the beginning of the Pasha, we see that Abraham is wanting to bury his beloved wife. Abraham and Sarah were a great example of a healthy marriage of Shalom Bayes, of building a relationship of love, of respect, of understanding, and of working together to um, achieve wonderful goals. Abraham and Sarah, the patriarch or matriarch of the Jewish people, um, were um, together and united in their contribution to the world. In other words, they together, Abraham was able to make an, a, a, a uh, he had a tremendous awareness and built a relationship with God. He saw God in the world. He saw that the world is based on kindness. He had eyes that saw Hashem's fingerprints all over the universe. And if we just open our eyes and remove all the blockages and all the schmutz that prevents us from seeing clearly and we put on objective lenses, we see God's fingerprints wherever we turn in the universe. That was blatantly clear and obvious to Abraham Avinu. And therefore, he knew there must have been a benevolent creator, and he searched for that creator um, for many, many years until Hashem revealed himself to Abraham. And it would be from that point onwards that Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah was very much a part of that journey, and she also saw Hashem's hand in the world. And together with Abraham, they uh, taught the world of the existence of a single God, um, and all the monotheistic religions, which is the majority of people in the world, follow the monotheistic, monotheistic religions that there's one God. Um, they, um, we, those teachings come from Abraham, Avinu, and Sarah Imenu. And so we could imagine the unbelievable trauma for Abraham that his soulmate, his wife, his partner in all of his spiritual endeavors. Uh, Sarah Emenu leaves this world, passes away. And so Abraham wants to bury Sarah. And he comes to um, Hebron and he wants to bury her in the cave, in the um, place where Abraham, where um, Adam and Chava are buried. That's Marat Hamachpela, the cave in Hebron. And that land belonged to Ephron, um, who was, who lived over there. And Abraham approaches Ephron and says he would like to purchase the land from him in order to bury his wife. And Ephron is quite a tragic figure we see from the beginning of the Pasha. Because on the one hand, Ephron says to Abraham, a holy man like you, a great individual um, who's done so much for the world, of course, um, it would be my privilege and honor that you would bury your wife on this land. And what is you know, a, a small amount of money between two people that have an understanding. Um, in other words, at, at first he says he makes these grandiose commitments and promises to Abraham to say that he's going to give him the land without charging him. That, you know, God forbid that he should charge Abraham for burying his wife on, on the land. Um, but then when it actually comes to the crunch, 
and Abraham um, says to him, you know, I'm happy to pay, and he takes out a wad of cash. So Ephron goes dizzy by the money that he sees, as the Pasuk in Mishlei says, Nifal Lachon Ishra, that he, be, he trembles, he becomes delirious, the evil person, um, with the uh, presence of money. Um, uh, and chaser yevuenu, so he'll become, he'll be lacking always. So we see that Ephron, because he charged Abraham so much, he ended up charging Abraham an exorbitant amount for the land, and he charged him cash, you know, hard currency, no credit, no credit card could be used. So for the person who made these grandiose promises at the beginning, at the end, he charges him a very uh, high amount and wants cash for the deal. So what is going on with Ephron? And as a result, his name, Ephron, is written Chaser. It's written without a Vav. And for Doris, for generations, we remember that Ephron doesn't have a Vav in his name because Ephron is a person who's lacking. Ephron's a person who's missing something important. So what is it? Let's try and understand what went wrong with Ephron and why it is he makes these great promises, but he doesn't deliver. But please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing this tragic figure by the name of Ephron um, who offers Abraham a place to bury Sarah and when it comes to the burial, he charges her comes to the crunch, he charges Abraham an exorbitant amount and he will only accept cash for the deal. So what's going on over here? Why? And as a result, Ephron's name is written Chaser without a Vav in the Torah in order to show us for all future generations that Ephron was a person who's lacking. That Ephron was a person who was missing something, a tremendous amount in his personality. So there's two approaches to this that I'd like to share with you which are very beautiful and are great insights into human nature. The first one is based on what Rashi says. And Rashi quotes the Gemara Bava Metziah. Gemara Bava Metziah says, Tzadikim, righteous individuals, Oimri me'at ba'oisim harbe. Righteous individuals say little, but do much. And Rashaim, people that are not holy individuals, um, that are not spiritually developing and inclined, they say a lot, but they do very little. They don't do much to deliver. So Abraham, the, the example of a tzaddik, of a righteous person, is Abraham, Abinu. Abraham, um, who says, we saw in last week's parasha, Bayera, that Abraham is suffering from the pain of his breasts the third day. Hashem makes it a boiling hot day so that there won't be people around for Abraham to uh, want to entertain but Abraham is the, the pain of not doing chesed even more than the pain of his breast. So Hashem sends these three malachim in the forms of human beings. And Abraham goes out to them, even though he's, he's uh, suffering terribly from the pain of the breast and from the heat of the day, Abraham still goes and approaches them walking in the desert and says to them, please come into my tent and I'll give you ma'at lechem, a little bit of bread to eat. Um, Abraham brings them into his tent. So all he says is, I'll give you a little bit of bread. Give you some bread and water. And they come to the tent and Abraham shechts an ox for each of them. Abraham gives each of them a tongue, their own tongue, which uh, even today is a great delicacy, a tongue. 
So Abraham said a little, but he did a tremendous amount, and he was uh, uh, gave them all he could possibly give, all the most um, exotic delicacies that were available at the time. So that's the example of Abraham, who's Omer Ma'at for Isaharbe. The example of the Russia is Ephron. That Ephron is Omer Harbe. Yes, what a great privilege. Nasi Elokimata, you are a holy man of God. For you to bury your wife in my, in this, in the cave would be an absolute honor and privilege. But he's Omer Harbe Me'at. But then he makes Abraham pay a very dear price, a very expensive price for that area, for that land. And by the way, that's why um, our claim to Israel, as we always say, is the greatest claim of any nation to a land, because God created the world and God gave whatever land he wants to each people, and he gave uh, the Abraham and his descendants the land of Israel. And Abraham bought this land. He had a deed of sale. He bought it. It's written in the Torah, and people, the whole, most of the world's population agree with what's written in the Old Testament in the Torah. Abraham bought the land, and therefore Hebron belongs to the Jewish people. It was bought by our ancestor Abraham Avinu, and the place of the burial of our patriarchs and our matriarchs um, in Hebron, um, in Maratamachpela, is obviously legitimate and is um, is uh, valid 100%. That's a wonderful thing to go and visit Hebron when you visit Eretz Israel, to go to the Maratamachpela, very powerful place where the patriarchs and matriarchs and Adam and Chava are buried. Okay, so that's what the Gemara says. So, so let's try and understand, what does that mean? That a righteous person says a little and does a lot, and a person who's not righteous, a Rasha, says a lot and does a little. Now, um, the Chazal, that's a teaching of our sages. The sages are not just saying that the Rasha is a person who is a swindler, is a good salesman, is a sweet talker, and is not genuine and sincere. We're not just saying that. We say it's even deeper than that. What Chazal are teaching us is that the righteous person understands and knows how hard it is to develop spiritually, how hard Avodah Sashem is. The righteous person is engaged in the struggle and battle with the Yetzirah and knows how hard it is to get up in the morning and to daven every day and to daven properly how difficult that is to meditate three times a day and focus entirely on those holy words and block everything out. It's a real struggle. The righteous person knows how hard it is to learn, to learn every day or to learn consistently a few times a week. And so he makes no no commitments. He knows how hard it is to be nice to others, to give others the benefit of the doubt and not to speak Loshan Hora. So the righteous person understands that these are difficult things to achieve in one's life. And therefore, the righteous person doesn't say a lot, doesn't overcommit, doesn't, um, in words, put things, um, you know, and, and cheaply make these promises. Because he knows or she knows how difficult these things are to achieve. And therefore, um, the righteous person makes very small commitments with their words and hopes to actually deliver when it comes down to the actions, um, which are very difficult to do. So that's the psychology, that's the mindset, that's the life of the righteous person. They're fully aware of how difficult it is to develop spiritually and to act in a holy way and to carry out those things that we're supposed to be doing based on the moral code that God gives us in the Torah. And therefore they make little commitments verbally and will hopefully deliver 
when it comes to the actions. And the Rasha, the person who's not righteous, they've never been engaged in the spiritual battle at all in their life. And so they're very quick to make those commitments. They're very quick to make promises and to cheaply um, say that they will do um, such and such because they've never really been engaged in that struggle. And so the words for them are are easily come by and easily said, and um, they haven't been part of that battle, that battle to develop midas, that battle to overcome our lower self, that battle to develop into filler in our davening. And so that's what Chazal are telling us. It's a very beautiful and deep message over here, that the person who understands spirituality and is engaged in our struggles will not make big commitments. They'll say little, but hopefully they will do. And why will they do? Because they'll put in great effort to 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 do what they're supposed to do. And hopefully when we put in the effort, we receive siyata dashmaya, we receive heavenly assistance in our efforts, in our endeavors, and uh, we are able to grow and achieve and deliver um, in those areas. And the person who's not righteous, the rasha, is going to make all the promises in the world and, and talk big, but when it comes to the crunch, will very not put much effort into actually carrying out those commitments and those promises. So that's seen by Ephron. as a contrast of Ephron to Avram. Avram, the tzaddik, who says little, but he gives each of those guests a tongue, and Ephron, who says everything, but he makes Avram pay very dearly for the um, for the place to bury Sarah. So that's one understanding of why Ephron is chaser, is doesn't have the vav in the Torah, and why we always remember him as being a person with a lacking in his life, because he promises so much, but he doesn't deliver. The other understanding, which I heard from Rabbi Elephant, um, in the name of Rabbi Ruchem, Rabbi Ruchem Lovavitch was the great Meshkiach of the Mir Yeshiva. He survived the war. Um, he, he, he was part of that group that received visas to go to Japan, they went on the Trans-Siberian Railway um, and went to Shanghai and saw the war out in Shanghai. And then um, he went back to um, Eretz Yisrael with the Mir Yeshiva. Yerucham was a great genius and a person who had a very deep and accurate understanding of human beings, of the human character and the human psyche. And he explains, um, the Rabbi Yerucham, that a Russia is somebody who lives in a world of fantasy and not a world of reality. So although the Rosha might have aspirations and might be moved by the moment and make all sorts of grandiose commitments when they are moved, but, and that's Umrim Harbe, that's how we understand this Chazal, that they um, say so much, but really um, the words are enough for them. By saying those words, they think that they've arrived. They think that they've achieved what they are supposed to. The words paint in their mind the whole image of, of what they've achieved. But when it comes to doing the actions, so they're not so careful or not so concerned about doing the actions. Um, as long as they have um, said um, what they're going to do, so that's sufficient, that's enough. They oimrim harbe, that would be good enough for them. The tzaddik, on the other hand, is somebody who lives very much in reality. And the words are cheap, and the words come easy, talk is cheap, and they will make a great effort to ensure that they will actually um, 
deliver on the things they say and do more than what they actually say. So um, it's a beautiful understanding of how the mindset of, of the Russia, the mindset of the Russia is to make those commitments and to, and to create, you know, to paint that picture in their minds, but not to actually, they're not very, they're not concerned at all of actually doing it. That's good enough for them. That world of fantasy, that world of demayon, um, that's, that, that they create for themselves. And so this is the great contrast between Abraham and Ephron. So Abraham doesn't promise the big banquets in the whole world. Um, he understates what he's going to do and he'll do his best to deliver. And he knows, Abraham understands that the more he says and the more words he uses, the more of the verbal commitment he makes, the more he, he, uh, he, uh, uh, builds it up with his words, the more damaging it is because um, it might weaken his resolve to actually do it, and um, and he won't deliver on those commitments. And and that really is what we see. Uh, we live in a world of oimri We see it's a world of advertising. It's a world where the media does not have much connection to the truth and to the facts. They're not bothered by what the actual facts are, and they're just pushing their agenda. They're There's a lot of words, but very little delivery on those words. Um, so that's the world of Ephron, where Ephron says he's going to be doing um, these wonderful things. But, ches, but we see the Torah tells us that Ephron is chaser. Ephron is lacking. Ephron is missing so much. Because Ephron lives in the world of Dimayon, which is a world of imagination. It's a world of chitsonius. It's a world of superficiality. Everything's external. There's no internal content to back what he says, to back up his big talk. And so Ephron is an individual who's chaser, who is lacking. And so obviously we should make great efforts to follow in the footsteps of Avram Abinu and to oimer me'at for oise say little and do a lot, and to stay away from the fanfare and from the marketing and from the big talking that we see everywhere in the world, um, uh, the world of oimer me'at, the world of Ephron. And that's the choice we all have to make. And uh, that's the way we all have to live our lives. We see what's also interesting about um, Parsha's Chaya Sarah is it's actually the Parsha of Shiduchim. We see that Abraham entrusts his loyal um, servant, Eliezer, to go and find a wife for his son, Yitzchak. And um, it's interesting that Rav Pam, who was the great Rosh Hashiva, in New York, in America, so he would always every Friday give a shear um, to the bochrim, to the students mm-hmm. of the yeshiva, and he wouldn't allow people from outside of the yeshiva to participate in the shear. The only shear that he opened the doors for on the Friday to people from the public was Parsha's Chaye Sarah, this week's Parsha, because it's the Parsha of Shiduchim, the Parsha where the Torah tells us about. Um, finding a marriage partner sets certain principles in um, what we should look for when we're looking for a spouse, for somebody um, with whom to share our lives with, to build a family with, and to um, to build our homes with. So maybe let's learn uh, a beautiful lesson that Rapam would often emphasize um, in Pasha's Chaye Sarah, the Pasha of, of Shiduchim. And that is we see that um, the Torah describes when Abraham 
um, selects, he, he entrusts Eliezer with the all-important task, the most important task um, of finding a wife for Yitzchak. And as it says, the Pasuk says, ashelot, that Eliezer was, uh, the simple Pasha Pshat of that Pasuk is Eliezer ran corpor- Corporation Abraham Avinu. That Eliezer was the man, he was Abraham's chief of staff. And he ran all of Abraham's affairs. Abraham was a very wealthy man. He had many assets. And so Eliezer was the one who, um, who helped run the show for Abraham Avinu. But the Kliyaka says an amazing thing. He says a fascinating thing. He says, Ha-Moshe b'chol ha-she-eloi, um, so he would, Moshe literally meaning was in control of everything that he had. So the simple understanding that Eliezer was in control of all of Abraham's assets and corporation Abraham Avinu. But the Kliyaka says, Ha-Moshe b'chol ha-she-eloi, he was in control of everything of his own, which means the law is going on Eliezer, not Abraham. That Eliezer controlled everything in his life. Eliezer was in control of the material in his existence, and the material didn't control him. He was in control of his money, and the money didn't control him. That was the outstanding attribute of Eliezer, and that was why Abraham Avinu chose Eliezer, selected him to be the one to find a wife for Yitzchak, because that is the all-important ingredient when one's looking for a marriage partner, is we're looking for midos. We're looking for the person's character. We're looking for the person's um, the person's um, uh, nature, what kind of a person that is, what kind of a human being they are, what their values and goals are in the world. That's, that's the ikka. And their financial situation, how much money they have, is tafel. That's secondary. That's not primary when it comes to when we're looking for Shiduchim, when we're looking for marriage partners for our children. So that was the critical ingredient that Eliezer possessed, that Abraham saw. The reason why he entrusted him with this task is that he saw that Eliezer was Moshe B'chol HaSheloi. He was in control of his own um, money, and the money didn't control him. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing Parsha's Chayesara as the Parsha of Shiduchim. The Torah tells us what's important, what kind values we should have when um, entering into this arena of finding a marriage partner for ourselves or for our children or for our grandchildren. And the reason why Eliezer is selected and entrusted with this all-important task, says the Kliyakar, is because he's our Moshe He's not blinded by money. He's in control of his money, and his money doesn't control him. Because the opposite is very dangerous. When a person is blinded by money, and that's all that's important to them or what's most important to them. So they will um, do anything to make money or to keep their money. They won't have any values and ethics. Um, anything will go in order for them to make money, in order for them to keep money, there will be no integrity. And so it's very important that that is the um, criterion 
that is employed most importantly when going on Shidduchim. And uh, a person should not be blinded by the money, but rather be able to look for the important factors that are most critical, like Yerashamayim, like the fear of heaven, like Midas Toivus, good character, um, having a personality and disposition which is kind, which is gentle, which is sincere, which is honest, which is genuine. Those are the criteria that make for a good marriage, not uh, not one's financial position, and that certainly is secondary. So money is a means to an end, and not an end in itself, and that's very important. And the, the system of Shidduchim is such a wonderful one, it's such an excellent one, because um, when a couple meets, so there's so much that is... Um, that is taking place, you know, usually uh, the way it works in the secular world is usually when a couple, you know, they meet each other at a party or at a club or in a bar, and most of them, uh, most of the time, one or both of them is uh, is uh, inebriated with alcohol or some other mind-altering substance, and uh, they see each other, they just see each other's physical form and body, and um, they could strike up some sort of connection and it becomes physical very quickly and escalates very quickly and then they become emotionally involved and then weeks or months later they actually begin to look at the character of this person. They look at what kind of human being this is but they already are entangled and emotionally attached and they've got so many you know, different uh, emotions at play where they certainly can't see clearly um, and, and the infatuation is blinding them terribly. So that's not a very good um, model for choosing a person with one seichel, with intelligence in a logical way, looking at the person's character, looking at the person's values and goals, making as objective a decision as one can. And, of course, the physical aspect is important and is relevant and is something that is, is very um, central to a marriage, but it needs to be within the context of all the other uh, characteristics of the person, and that needs to be looked at objectively and clinically and clearly before one's emotions gets involved, before one becomes infatuated with a person. So the, the system of Shidduchim is very wise and is very makes a lot of sense and is very responsible, far more responsible than... Um, than the way it's done um, in the secular world. Uh, obviously, it's not foolproof, and obviously, you know, it's not going to save one from all the pitfalls that exist, but it definitely is a much safer, more responsible way of approaching a relationship. And when the couple meets, so they, they obviously get to know each other in a natural way, but they also are looking at the goals that each one has. And if the goals are not compatible, so then it's not going to work. Um, so one's goals and they want to see if there's a chemistry and they obviously are looking at the middles, at the character of the other person. And then this point that we're making now that we learn from the Kliyakar is they shouldn't be blinded by money, but rather um, they should see through it and see the character of the individual and look at the important criterion um, being a person's uh, middles, a person's character traits and a person's Yerash Shemai. Okay, so... That's a great lesson we learn from Eliezer and from the Pasha with regards to Shidduchim. So let's end off with uh, how the Torah concludes towards the end of the life of Abraham Avin. The Pasuk tells us something very powerful. It says that Abraham, the great patriarch, the founder of the Jewish people, and we, at the beginning of the Pasha we learn about the, the, the death of the matriarch of Klaishal, Sarah Imenu, and the end of the Pasha we learn about the death of 
the patriarch of the Jewish people, Avram Avinu. And the Pasuk says, Avraham Zaken Babayamin. Avraham was old, and he, Babayamin literally means he came along with days. Hashem Berach is Avraham Bakol, and Hashem blessed Avraham Bakol with everything. So this term, Babayamin, it's a difficult one to understand. It says Abraham was old, and then it says he came along with days. Now, that seems to be redundant. Why does the Torah need to tell us he came along with days if it's, if it's telling us that he was old? So obviously it's telling us something totally different. The Torah is telling us um, what is it that he came along with days. So uh, the, uh, my, I heard a beautiful, uh, I read a beautiful understanding of Rabbi Abraham Tversky. Rabbi Tversky explains and he says the following. He says that our lives in this world, we, we live in the present. And the present is made up of our memories and reflections of the past, as well as our projections, projections and thoughts into the future. But we are locked into the present. And the present, sometimes our present is so intense and difficult that we are not able to um, think about the past or the future. You know, maybe somebody's in pain and experiencing a, uh, excessive pain, and so they, you know, the the, uh, the present is very intense, and they're not able to um, go beyond what they, their present experience is. Uh, we find generally with young people that their life, the life of young people, is very intense. Um, usually, they living life to the fullest and experiencing um, the great, colorful world that we live in, and therefore they're not reflecting so much on the past or projecting into the future. But as people get older and uh, reach their latter years, so they begin to reflect uh, uh, quite intensely on their past life, on the choices they've made in their life, on um, their journey and what the past has, what's happened in the past to bring them to where they are now in the present. Um, as a rabbi, I've uh, come across many people who uh, are experiencing the the last years or last weeks or last moments of their lives. And very often I've uh, encountered people with profound regret um, from their past. And um, the the most common regret that I've seen, um, which I think is quite common, is many people have said that my main regret is I uh, didn't spend more time with my family. And that I spent too much time in the office. Now, of course, a person has to make a living. And a person has to support their family, which is something that is, um, which is something that's a responsibility of 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 uh, all parents to support their children and to ensure that they have what to live their lives. But that shouldn't be the main focus of life. And very often, it becomes an obsession and becomes overemphasized at the expense of the relationships at home, at the expense of building better relationships with our spouse, better relationships with our children, better relationships with our grandchildren. And so very often people feel that um, they've made bad choices in their life and that they would like to eliminate some of those bad choices and some of those mistakes that they made in the past. And that often is a very sad thing that they approaching the end of their life and they regret many things that happened in their past. So that's what the Torah is telling us over here. For Abraham Zaken, when he was re- in, at that stage of his life, when he was old, Ba Biyamin, he came 
to that stage with all of his days. In other words, he didn't want to remove or cut out any of those past days. He came along with all the days. And all the days were days which he did not regret, but rather he was glad about the choices he made. There were not any days he wanted to eliminate from the past. So that is such a great blessing. And that's why it says, Hashem Beirach is Avram Bukol. Hashem blessed Abraham with everything because he came with his days. He did not have regrets. He made, he felt he made the right choices in his life that brought him to this point. And Hashem, that is the great blessing. That's a very great blessing. So please God, we should all live lives modeled on Abraham Avinu and Sarah Imenu. And we should, um, make the right choices in our lives. Um, so when we reach a ripe old age, may Hashem bless us all to reach a ripe old age. So please God, we will be able to um, look back and not uh, regret um, or want to eradicate any past days, but we should be barbayamim. We should come with all those days. And that's why we see at the end of Avram's life, the Pasuk says in the next parak, it says, Yamas Avraham that Abraham died at a good old age, mature and content. So please God, um, Hashem should bless us all with the long life and we should reach that stage uh, with maturity and contentment having made the right choices in our lives. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.